Time for our second Bible reading. Um, it's from the book of, <coughs> book of Isaiah, chapter 33. So it's on um, most of your Bible on page 747, or you can follow on the screen. Isaiah, chapter 33. Woe to you, O destroyer, you who have not been destroyed. Woe to you, O traitor, you who have not been betrayed. When you stop destroying, you will be destroyed. When you stop betraying, you will be betrayed. O Lord, be gracious to us. We long for you. Be our strength every morning, our salvation in time of distress. At the thunder of your voice, the people flee. When you rise up, the nations scatter. Your plunder, all nations, is harvested as by young locusts. Like a swarm of locusts, men pounce on it. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. He will be sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. Look, there brave men cry aloud in the streets. The envoys of peace weep bitterly. The highways are deserted. No travelers are on the roads. The treaty is broken. Its witnesses are despised. No one is respected. The land mourns and wastes away. Lebanon is ashamed and withers. Sharon is like Araba, and Bashan and Carmel drop their leaves. Now will I arise, say the Lord. Now will I be exalted. Now will I be lifted up. You conceive chaff. You give birth to straw. Your breast is a fire that consumes you. The peoples will be burned as if to lime. <clears throat> like cut thorn bushes, they will be set ablaze. You who are far away, hear what I have done. You who are near, acknowledge my power. The sinners in Zion are terrified. Trembling grips the godless. Who of us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who of us can dwell with everlasting burning? He who walks righteously and speaks that is what is right, who rejects gain from extortion, and keep his hand from accepting bribes, who stops his ear against plots of murder and shuts his eyes against contemplating evil. This is the man who will dwell on the heights, whose refuge will be the mountain fortress. His bread will be supplied and water will not fail him. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty and view a land that stretches afar. Is your thought you... In your thought, you will ponder the former terror. Where is that chief officer? Where is the one who took the revenue? Where is the officer in charge of the towers? You will see those arrogant people no more, those people of an obscure speech with their strange, incomprehensible tongue. Look upon Zion, the city of our festivals. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a peaceful abode, a tent that will not be moved. Its stakes will never be pulled up, nor any of its ropes broken. There the Lord will be our mighty one. It will be like a place of broad rivers and streams. No galley will oars with oars will ride them. No mighty ship will sail them. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. It is he who will save us. You rigging hangs loose. 
the mast is not held secure, the sail is not spread, then abundance of spoil will be divided, and even the lame will carry off plunder. No one living in Zion will say, I am ill, and the sins of those who dwell there will be forgiven. Amen. Thank you, Dahlia. Uh, good morning, everyone. My name's Pete, uh, one of the elders here. Uh, it'd be great if you uh, had your Bibles open, if you haven't already, Isaiah chapter 33. We'll work through the verses uh, quite carefully on this uh, wonderful uh, part of God's Word, uh, a great part of God's Word for dirty, rotten sinners. Uh, so at least one in our room will listen carefully, uh, and no doubt all of us will uh, as well. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for your Word to us, and that it is for us, for all of us. And in it, you tell us what we need, and you extend to us a wonderful promise of hope, of life, of forgiveness with you. I pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, friends, I want to say, uh, we live in a world uh, where forgiveness does not come easy, uh, if it comes at all. Uh, we live in a world where, if you want forgiveness, you'd better be ready to earn it to work for it and even then to keep your fingers crossed because there's no guarantee that it's coming your way. Ours is a world where wounds run deep, memories last long. I can remember learning that the hard but somewhat humorous way. Uh, I was in my teens uh, and her name, uh, at least for the purpose of this introduction, uh, was Susie uh, and we were special friends. Uh, but things, as it turned out, were not going so well. So I decided it would be a kind of good personal therapy to write a kind of anti-love letter. Now, I want to make clear I had no intentions of ever giving her this letter. Uh, but as a way of kind of purging my inner teen angst, I decided to write down all the reasons why her and I should no longer be her and I. And I was detailed, and I was specific, and as it turned out, I wasn't uh, quite uh, so bright. You see, so uh, committed was I to the therapeutic process that I even wrote uh, Susie's name on top of the letter, and I folded it, and I left it on my desk. Uh, later that day, a good friend of mine, flatmate, came into my room, saw the letter, saw Susie's name written on the top. And so what did he do? He delivered the letter to my very soon-to-be ex-girlfriend. Friends, I want to say that day, amongst other things, I learned that uh, we live in a world where forgiveness does not come easy, uh, if it comes at all. And I wonder, has that been your experience too? Uh, not just in some silly situation back in your teens that you can laugh about now, but but in some real moment of life, in a relationship that really matters, have you already learnt how awful it is when forgiveness is withheld and the relationship is broken and there is nothing you can do to make it right again? 
uh, a song I loved from a few years ago now, had, had this line in the chorus that repeated over and over. What did it say? It said, It's too late to apologize. Too late. Too late to apologize. It's too late. We live in a world where forgiveness does not come easy, if it comes at all. And the question we ask this morning is, is it the same with God? Is that what God would say to us? I have a good friend, a great lady, she's not a Christian, but in a conversation with her once, she told me that she prays to God every single night. And so I asked her, what do you pray for? She said, I pray for forgiveness every single night. And the question we asked this morning is, what would God say to her? What would God say to us? Now, it's just possible at this moment, if you're a regular here at church, you're already starting to glaze. Uh, you already know the answer. But the question I want to ask is, do you know it really and deeply in a way that will completely reshape your relationship with God? And for that matter, completely reshape your relationship with others. See, in a world where forgiveness does not come easy, if it comes at all, will God really and completely forgive you? Because see, as you come to the chapter in the book of Isaiah this morning, that's what God's people should have been asking. If you recall the story so far in the, in the people of God, the people of God have this awful habit of, of turning their back on God both individually and nationally, again and again, they turn against the God who made them. As Isaiah will say in some of his very first words of this very book, Ah, sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption, they have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. And so, of course, if you, if you know the story of the Bible, what does God do? He does what any good father would do. He rebukes them. Both individually and nationally, he, he rebukes his people back to him. But again and again, they refuse. Or else they, they listen for a while and then turn away again. In this never-ending cycle of rebellion and rebuke and rebellion and rebuke. But now here in Isaiah, it would seem they have gone too far. That enough is enough. The line is finally crossed. After all, if you remember the immediate context of Isaiah, you'll know that Assyria is on the march. Do you remember? They've already destroyed the northern neighbor, Israel. They've already defeated the ally, Egypt. And now, in all likelihood, they are right now encamped outside the city walls. In the very same way that chapter 36 will very soon describe. And why? Because God sent them. Because of Judah's sin. And so the question is, do you see, is that it for Israel? You know, too late to apologize. Too late for forgiveness. It seems to me that's the question Isaiah answers in the passage before us today. 
in a message that you'll know as well as I, is just as relevant for us now as it was for them then. Anyway, the chapter opens, did you notice if you have it there, the chapter opens with this wonderful promise of change, of a turning of the tables, the destroying of the destroyer. Assyria, God says, will not always be on the advance. They will be stopped. And so immediately Isaiah cries out. On the basis of God's promise, he, he cries out to the Lord who saves. And he invites his people to join his cry. You might remember, uh, uh, just not so long ago now, in chapter 30, Isaiah, uh, God's people were already promised this. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. And so what does Isaiah do here in verse 2? He turns God's promise into prayer. Did you notice? Just as, by the way, God wants us to do in the prayers we pray, whether, whether for ourselves or our world or our church or our friends, God wants to hear his words in our words. And so that's what Isaiah does. Did you see? Isaiah says, you have promised. Please keep your promise. See it there, verse 2. O Lord, be gracious to us. We long for you. Be our strength every morning, our salvation in time of distress. Then as he goes on, he remembers, did you notice the power of God? The way that when God speaks, things change. The, the way that he had seen again and again throughout Israel's history. Have a look, verse 3. At the thunder of your voice, the peoples flee. When you rise up, the, the nations scatter. I, I don't know about you, but I think what Isaiah is doing here is kind of the opposite version of those um, superannuation disclaimers. I don't know if you've seen them. They go something like this. Uh, past performance is not a reliable indicator of future success. Isaiah says that might be right for your super, but it's never right for God. God, when you rise, the people fall. When you move, we are saved. And so we ask you to do that for us now, he says. Because of your promise, because of your power, and ultimately, did you notice, because of your, well, your person, because of who you are, the God who loves to save. And up to this point, of course, the Israelites have literally looked everywhere else except for God to give them what they need. Just as we, I think, so often look everywhere else except for God to give us what we need whether it's the approval of others or the car in our driveway or the kids that we've raised or, or the things that we do, we, we constantly look to other things to, 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 well, to make us us, to save us from our fears, to, to tell us it's all right. And so here Isaiah says, stop, no more. 
No more looking everywhere else for what only God can give. Did you see it? Cry to the Lord who alone can save. To the Lord, verse 5, who, who is exalted. To the Lord, verse 6, who is our foundation. A rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. There's a Christian uh, pop band of my generation, I think, called Casting Crowns, who once sang, not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. You see, that's what Isaiah says to God too. That's where his confidence is. It's in God himself, the God who alone can save. See, you want to be forgiven, Isaiah says? Deeply, completely, always? And cry to the Lord who saves. And then he says, did you see, depend on the Lord who acts. Especially now, when all hope seems lost and and for the israelites here it really did seem lost didn't it i mean if you skim those verses do you have them there in seven eight and nine it's speaking particularly of the israelites i think right here in this moment the the heroes are are helpless they're diplomats pointless The, the roads are empty all trade has stopped their treaties are broken the egyptians have fled And then as they look to the north, what do they see? Well, there in verse 10, they see their own expected future. In their once fertile northern neighbours now wasting away under the Assyrian advance. I think it was the great thinker Augustine who once said, the best disposition for approaching God is that of being desolate, forsaken, stripped of everything. It's true, isn't it? So often that's exactly what we hear in, in, in the stories of conversion that we're told up here in the, in the professions of faith and the admissions to membership. You know, I had no one else and then I turned to him. When life was at its worst, then Christ picked me up And you see, so it is here. Here in Isaiah 33, when all hope is lost, when there was no one else, they cry to their God. And what does he do? Does he block his ears? Repay back to them what they've done to him? Withhold his forgiveness as our world often would? No. No. Instead, at just the right time, when they were still powerless, God acts for their good and his glory. You see it there, verse 10? Now will I arise, says the Lord. Now will I be exalted. Now will I be lifted up. I I don't know about you, but it reminds me of all those but now statements that fill the pages of the New Testament. You know the ones? 
But now, a righteousness from God has been revealed. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near. But now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body. As he promises for those who trust in him now. So he does for these who trusted him then. For your sake, God says, for my glory, God says, I will act. This is what he promises his people here. And when I do, he says, and I wonder if you notice this, it will only go one of two ways. Either it will be burn or turn. Burn with the Assyrians or turn back to me. And I'll never forget uh, hearing the testimony once of a, a, a Russian man at one of our national university events, one of the great privileges of our national uh, Christian events at the end of the year. We have all these guests from different parts of the world. Anyway, there was this Russian man, and he told the story of how he became a Christian from reading the book of Revelation, uh, as you do. In fact, I think if I have this story right, he was actually a KGB agent uh, living in one of those countries that ends with the word Stan. Uh, and one day he read Revelation and became a Christian. As he tells his story, do you know what he said? Here's what he said. Best Russian accent about to come. It seemed to me, it's not really Russian, is it? <laughs> the choice was clear. Either you are with Jesus or you are barbecue. <laughs> How's that for a summary of the book of Revelation? How's that for a summary of verses 11 to 14? That's what Isaiah says too, isn't it? There in verse 12, the peoples will be burned as if to lime, like cut thorn bushes. They'll be set ablaze. Understandably, God's people cry out. Do you see down there in verse 14? Verse 14. Who of us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who can dwell with everlasting burning? The answer? Only those who turn. Who turn back to God with their life and their lips. Who turn back to God with their heart and their soul. And this is what they look like, Isaiah says. This is the fruit of a heart changed by God. You see there, verse 15? They live rightly and speak rightly and reject greed and refuse murder. Which, by the way, is both when murder is physical, like we've so tragically seen in the news reports this week, or whether it's the kind that just kills a reputation from the safety of a keyboard or a juicy story shared. Verse 16, do you see? These are the ones who will dwell on the heights, 
whose refuge will be the mountain fortress, whose bread will be supplied. In other words, these are the ones I'll protect and provide for, God says. Only those who turn to me. So the question is, of course, is this us? Do these verses describe us? The choice is only burn or turn. Either you are with Jesus or you are barbecue. And so cry to the Lord who saves, Isaiah pleads. Trust in the Lord who acts, Isaiah says. And finally, hope in the King who rules. So just in case you missed it, and I'm really not sure how you could have, in recent months, Australia has been in a kind of royal renaissance. Have you noticed? With the recent royal weddings, the visit of Harry and Meghan, Australia is once again in love with all things royal. In fact, if you believe the interviews that turn up on the news about the best thing that can happen to you is to see a beautiful royal with your own two eyes. Have you seen the reports? I saw handsome Harry. And believe it or not, Isaiah agrees. Did you notice? Only not just with handsome Harry, but the magnificent, majestic Christ who will come. The best thing that can happen to you, says Isaiah, is to see that king with your own two eyes. To be with him in the land where he rules. See there, verse 17. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty and view a land that that stretches afar. See, here's the promise of Isaiah. You will one day be with him. And when you are, you will be without fear. All those ones who caused you pain, they will be gone when you are with him, Isaiah says. See it there, verse 18, verse 18. In your thoughts, you'll ponder the former terror. Where is that chief officer? Where's the one who took the revenue? Where's the officer in charge of the towers? Where's that guy from work who mocked my faith? The media machine that that called us fools? Or that professor at uni or that teacher at school who made me feel so small for trusting in Christ? Verse 19. You will see those arrogant people no more. Those people of an obscure speech with their strange, incomprehensible tongue. And friends, this wonderful, joyful hope, it won't just last a little while, did you notice? When the king comes, this will be forever. Do you see it? Verse 20, halfway through. Yours is a tense that that will not be moved. Its stakes will never be pulled up, nor any of its ropes broken. Now, now of course, back then, right at this moment, that's precisely what God's people feared. 
That like some great wind that sweeps across a tent and literally tears it from its pegs, that that the Assyrian army would tear them from their home. But Isaiah says, fear not. A time is coming when that will never happen again. Why? Verse 23. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king and it is he who will save us. It's almost as if, did you notice this? That Isaiah gathers together all the rulers and saviors they've ever had right throughout Israel's history from the lawgiver Moses to the judges that followed and the kings after them, did you see? And then he brings them all together in some kind of ultimate superhero saviour king. And then he says, here's your king. Here's your God. If you want forgiveness, put your hope only in him. You see, with the awful Assyrians encamped all around them, when all hope literally seemed lost, when it seemed like they had gone too far, and now at last forgiveness, it was too much to ask. Isaiah says, cry to the Lord who saves. Trust in the Lord who acts. Hope in the King who rules and you will be forgiven. No matter the shipwreck you've made of your life, no matter how battered your boat has become, even if verse 23, your rigging hangs loose, your mast is not secure, your sail is not spread, you've made a wreck of your life. Even then, God says in what is the climax of this chapter, In its very last words, you can and will be forgiven. Verse 24, no one living in Zion will say, I am ill. And the sins of those who dwell there will be forgiven. Every single one. The wonderful author Max Licardo tells a story, a heartbreaking story, of a girl in Brazil, a girl who abandons her family, breaks her parents' heart, and makes a wreck of her life. She crushes her mother and sells herself to others. And the story goes on how the mother refuses to give up on this girl. And she does everything she can to, to try to bring her home. In fact, so much so, she even goes to the point of spending all she has on, on these, these little passport-sized photos. So she can stick a picture up of herself in every sleazy bar and hotel in the city where she thought she daughter, her daughter was. She desperately longs to get the daughter's attention. And one day she does. 
in some sleazy hotel in the backwater of town, the daughter comes down the stairs. And as she walks through the foyer, she sees on the wall a photo of her mum. She goes over to the photo. She picks up the photo. She turns over the back, and do you know what it said? Whatever you have done, whatever you've become, I forgive you. Please come home. Whatever you have done, whatever you've become, I forgive you. Please come home. Friends, it seems to me in a world where forgiveness does not come easy, if it comes at all, that is the message of Isaiah today. A message that is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. In the death he died. In his new risen life. As Peter will say, do you remember, he read it to us from the book of Acts. All the prophets testify, including this one. About him, the Christ who died and rose. That everyone who believes in him. That is who cries to him, trusts in him, hopes in him. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins in his name. Friends, if you're not sure today if that's you, please know it can be. It can be today. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, he will forgive you. If you cry to him, trust in him, hope in him. And friends, for the great many of us here who have already done that, may we keep doing that day after day after day. And may we allow this to completely reshape our relationship with God and also our relationship with each other. May we joyfully and wonderfully receive his forgiveness and pass that forgiveness on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. You are such a wonderful, wonderful God. We thank you for the forgiveness you have won for us in Christ. We thank you for making that forgiveness clear. We pray, Father, we would trust you. We would believe that in you and in Christ's death and resurrection there is complete forgiveness. And we pray, our Heavenly Father, this would completely reshape both our relationship with you and our relationship with others. It's in his name we pray. Amen.